And at the end of the day, just on this one skew, this one varietal Sauvignon Blanc with these capsules, I asked him, so what do you think about our new capsules? And each time, even the distributor who opens bottles for a living would go, what new capsules? And so we realized the difference between a $2 capsule and a six cent capsule, it didn't matter to the consumer. And so we took that dollar and 94 cents and put it into the quality of the wine instead, because that matters. Even people that don't think they know a lot about wine, they still know if it's good. And the quality matters a whole bunch. Uh, so if you order a bottle of our wine now, it's going to have a capsule that a wine industry professional would judge us for, but the wine's going to be quite extraordinary when you get to it. There's a real good chance that nobody outside the industry cares. Hey everybody, I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke and we're the Just In Time Cafe and welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions. We talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books and get insights from lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in the world. Yeah, and we let you in on helpful apps. We bring you the news and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem solving muscles. So Elizabeth, what is on the cafe menu today? Oh, well, Tracy, today's highlight is uh, your interview with Rachel and Christian Alman. They own a winery that answers the question, what if you combine Six Sigma with fermentation? The most efficient venue for growing, bottling, and tasting in Northern California. For hot apps, we're highlighting a well-known entry point for the gig economy named after the idea that you could pay as low as five bucks for anything. Uh, and for Q&A, we discuss the issue of accuracy. Do you know the source of the facts you are citing? It's a great day at the cafe, Tracy. Up next, it's hot apps. Yes, the app is Fiverr. Basically, it's an online marketplace connecting freelancers with people or businesses in need of their services. Launched in 2010, it's now one of the leading global freelance marketplaces. Sellers offer graphic design, writing, translation, digital marketing, programming, video editing, music production, and the list goes on. So sellers have profiles. They give you examples of what they've done. They set their prices, and you can see their ratings. So each seller has a star followed by a one to five star rating, like five or 4.8 and or they're not rated if they're new. And then in parentheses, it lists how many people have rated them. You can see, you know, 12 or 1K plus, meaning over a thousand people have bought services from that particular seller. So as a buyer, you can message with sellers, negotiate your terms, collaborate on projects. Fiverr facilitates the payment process and the site is known as a gig system, you know, where freelancers offer services starting at a base price of $5. Hence the name Fiverr. Once you start looking, you'll find lots of levels of prices. How about you, Tracy? Have you used it or just been a beneficiary? So funnily enough, I know that's not a word. I'm just going to go with it. Is I actually thought about doing a music video. I mean, a TikTok dance routine for my music video, Baby Got Tools. So I just went on Fiverr to see if they even had that as a service. And guess what? Yes, they do. You can actually pay somebody to develop a routine for like a TikTok video or something like that. So I did it because it was so cheap. It was like 
for 45 seconds. It was like 15 bucks or something like that. And it was supposed to be ready in one day, but the response time was a little slow from this vendor. So it took five days. So it seems like it's really easy to look for services. There's so many things out there you can get help with. I think the trick is don't wait until the last minute. That's sometimes what I do is all of a sudden I realize I'm super overwhelmed and I need help. And it's, it's like, I need help now. And that's really not a good place to be searching for a partner. <laughs> <laughs> and finding some work to do. And if you find somebody good, hold on to them, but they make it really easy to outsource. So if you are not good at delegating, it actually helps you become a better delegator and maybe plan to involve other people in the work. Um, I like that. It does help with delegation, but you do have to plan ahead. And mm -hmm. I use it uh, most recently. I was at asking someone to design a logo. I'm good at design and I was designing and I thought, you know what? It's probably cheap and probably someone else could do a better job if that's all they do. So I went on, I got a basic offering from someone who I like their stuff. I like their prices. They offered me three edit rounds. I could pay more if I wanted like exclusive rights or different types of renderings. Um, and that experience was really seamless and I like the logo, but it takes a bit to get used to using Fiverr. So you know, once you enter the type of service you want, you can see this huge range, like you said, Tracy, of people that, that you could choose from. You know, you think, oh, do, do they have this on Fiverr? And the general answer is, yep, they have that. Mm -hmm. um, and one time I contacted someone, this is like years ago, but to create a blog based on a webinar. But I missed what seemed like kind of a hidden fee. And it ended up being way pricier than I, I expected. And then I gave that feedback to the sell, and it wasn't me. I was doing it for our, you know, company. And when I uh, gave that feedback to the seller, they weren't happy. Right? People are determined to get five star reviews, so anything less can be unacceptable. So that seller was completely uninterested in my feedback. And I yeah. get that. You know, the reality is you're being selected on your ratings, your pricing, and a showcase of your work. So if there's anything less than perfect, people are going to opt for a different seller. It's mm -hmm. you know truly a worldwide marketplace and it's gigantic and i was just thinking about sellers you know offering blogging services and the fact that like that thing that i got years ago it's probably being undercut by chat gpt right now and you know constantly changing marketplace in so very many ways uh what do you think tracy <clears throat> i absolutely agree uh, my husband and i were just talking about chat gpt and how the, you know some of the ramifications and repercussions and you can go really down a rabbit hole about fear of uncertainty, what's going to happen, how are we going to use AI, but also I think, you know, like anything, I mean, we're in process improvement. People deal with this all the time, you know, new technology comes along and people get scared and they're like, you know, now what am I going to do? You're going to do something better because a machine can do it. And I still sure. feel that way. I still feel like you know what? You just got to, you have to be ready to change with the times too. If, if, if you didn't do that before, you know, now a machine can do it. So do something else. You know and, what? You just made yeah. me realize Fiverr people, sellers on Fiverr, probably using chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Now they can, there's there. Now they can do more work. I just was in a training this week and we were watching a video um, it was a, a pharmacy video. And one of the guys said, well, you know, I don't understand why a machine can't do all that. So we don't need pharmacists anymore. Sorry, guys. And I'm like, actually, <laughs> actually, 
it means that these pharmacists are freed up to do more important work, like maybe talk with patients and they don't have to enter it in the system anymore. And so it was sort of like, why is the go-to that, oh, it's going to eliminate jobs? You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of interesting. So how can it enhance jobs? I like it. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, you know, there it just depends on how it hits people. And I'm sure there's negative repercussions, but there's also positive repercussions too. True. So anyway, Tracy and I both have used Fiverr, both think um, it's very useful, great way to outsource stuff you need done, Uh, plan for it, but uh, go for it. I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast in a short while. You'll get to hear Tracy's interview with Rachel and Christian Allman. Next up, it's the reality that the internet giveth and the internet taketh away. Facts are at our fingertips, but are they truly facts? So this is based on my recent very disturbing discovery that I've been quoting two separate research studies that did not exist. And one of them is the learning pyramid. And if you've never seen it, it's visual about the impact of different learning modes on student retention. So the top of the pyramid, tiny triangle representing the 5% supposed retention rate for people listening to a lecture. And then the bottom slice of the pyramid with the broadest uh, area indicates that students retain, supposedly, 90% of the content they teach uh, when they teach the topic to others. So In between, there's reading, audiovisual, demonstration, and practice. And the studies attributed to the National Training Laboratories in Bethel, Maine. They are a respected institution. So I never questioned these stats, and I'm not alone. Uh, But when I tried to go to the website, I couldn't find the learning pyramid. So I started Googling it, and that's when I found all the debunking articles. So it's an appealing image, so a lot of people use it. And I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me to admit they've used this pyramid to discuss retention rates, right? But the rates are too neat, right? So reading retention is 10%. Audiovisual is 20%. Demonstration is 30%, right? And so on. And what research study results in exact multiples of 10? You know, then there's the issue of scientifically proving retention based on learning in a specific way in a vacuum, right? So the issues aside, the problem uh, for most of us, it's our habit, right, of finding or not seeking proof on the internet. We generally don't look very far. You know, you can Google these so-called stats and find dozens of sites promoting and expanding on non-existent science. You have to go to page like two or three to find the debunking articles. So if you do in your own internal assessment, you might think, well, there's 30 links backing this up. Must be true. Right. So how about you, Tracy? Were you surprised about this one? No. I'm not. I mean, so I think it's surprising that we discovered that things we've been using for a while were not true. And that is disturbing. And, you know, it is, it's so hard, but I feel like there's so much trash out there in terms of misinformation. And, you know, we all have this filter of, we process information. It's almost like we, we want to believe something, and, and so therefore we naturally sometimes look for information that supports that, right? That hypothesis. And um, I think that's a natural behavior that's happening. And with so it, making it so difficult to find truth out there, it is very hard. 
The pyramid started as a theoretical model and then just evolved into pseudoscience that we quote. And I think the way you described it is really good, Tracy. It's like confirmation bias, right? That is the thing that we are, we're doing with this. And when I posted online, you know, people chimed in about the fallacy of other accepted models like learning styles. And they also put up the myth that 80% of communication is non-verbal. And that one originated from a scientific study, but it's, it was specific. Uh, and this, and then it's been applied universally, and there's no basis for that. So when you sit and think about it, you can see the holes. And I might be able to tell that someone speaking a foreign language is angry, but I would have zero idea what they're saying, right? If you just think, like, what's the logic to this? So it was, it was curious as to how chat GPT and artificial intelligence would handle these issues. And it's surprising. So in terms of the learning pyramid, pyramid it reported that it was, quote, widely circulated, but it was important to note that its origins and empirical evidence are uncertain, right? So it did promote the directional aspect, right? So, you know, lecture less, you know, uh, pract you know the practice is more effective than lecture, right? And you and I both believe that and we experience it in our design of our courses and our teachings and all that. It also knew exactly which research led to the myth that 80% of communication is nonverbal. Right. It failed uh, when I asked it about learning styles the first time. Right. First, it promoted the idea that each of us has a distinctly separate style. Right. Visual, auditory, reading, kinesthetic. And then I asked if it was evidence based. And it said the empirical evidence to support the theory was inconclusive and conflicting. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, no, we get to the real deal. So the, it comes back to like the burdens on us. Right. Given what happened and how ready I've been to accept some of these concepts. I'm going to give all stats a new rigor and I'll use our artificial intelligence, but I'll use my own too, right? I think yeah. there's a song title for this one. I won't get fooled again. <laughs> yes. Well, <clears throat> kudos to you. <clears throat> and it shouldn't be this hard to find the truth, but I'm, you know, this is even broader than just us and our industry. I mean, sadly, Without getting a little political here, there's so much information out there. I'm wrestling with this now with my 20-year-old. He hears stuff on TikTok, Snapchat, and he just, he goes off on a tangent. And um, it's, I have to tell him, not everything you see, hear, and read is true. You have to constantly check your sources. He heard something that a politician did, and he was up in arms about it. And actually, <clears throat> we did put it into ChatGPT. And it came back, no record of that happening. Like, not sure if I can do that with all my hypotheses that I'm considering, but I am considering it. ChatGPT is maybe a potential fact-finding source because it is so hard to know the truth. And Elizabeth, you know, like for us, you know, checking our sources, but what about daily news, right? So like, this is even broader, like you're just bombarded with stuff. You're like, do you have time to research every single one to see if it's true? No. So I, I you know, I feel like this is an issue with our country even, but I'm not going to go, you know, into that. <laughs> so, but it is, it's a problem. It's so problematic. And checking your sources. I mean, it's a good thing. You got to do it. How, but you know, at what degree? I mean, how much time do we all have to check our sources? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, no, you make a great point thinking about it. It is exhausting. And we could go, we could spend the next, all the rest of the year on this topic. So, so we won't, but um, it's worth noting uh, that it's something we got to do. Mm -hmm. 
I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly, so you can go to www.jitcafe.com. That's J-I-T-C-A-F-E.com and go to our podcast page. Coming up next, it's our featured guests, Rachel and Christian Alman. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about them? I would love to. So what's really funny is, so Rachel and Christian Allman live at, at Six Sigma Ranch, where they run daily operations for their family winery. So their wine bottles say Six Sigma on them. And I remember getting a bottle of wine when I was at GE in the 90s. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, not the 90s. But I remember getting a bottle of wine from a client or something like, this is so cool. And that was a long time ago. And I recently ran into them again. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder if they're still doing Six Sigma. So I reached out to them and I called them and I said, hey, you know, are you guys, tell me a little bit about this. And we decided to have them on the podcast. It was founded in 2005 by Elsie and Kaj Allman on 4,300 acres just north of Napa Valley, California. What's really cool is production is based on vertical integration from on-site vineyards to the on-site winery and then to customer direct marketing at the tasting room and a wine club. And this is very rare in this industry to be have vertical integration like that. So the fur work together daily to create an authentic ranch experience with ongoing process improvement based on wisdom from data and direct and indirect voice of the customer insights. And we're going to hear about some of those in the interview. Can't wait. Christian and Rachel, welcome to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. How are you guys doing today? We're doing good. Thank you for having us. Yes, and thank where you. Are, yes, you're welcome. And where are you? You are in California. What part of California? We are. So we are in beautiful Lake County, which is uh, 45 minutes north of Napa Valley up in the mountains. We are in the middle of a 4,000 acre ranch right now where we grow grapes and farm cattle and sitting on literally on the front porch. <laughs> That's wonderful. Looks like a beautiful day over there. Beautiful, beautiful, cool spring morning in California. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your winery and how Six Sigma is a part of your winery. Yeah. So we're a small family business in the middle of a big ranch. We grow grapes. Um, in an earlier life, uh, my, my parents were in the GE world in the 90s. Uh, my father ran a company um, for Jack Welsh in the Midwest called Employers Reinsurance Corporation. Um, and he loved this concept of, of building up uh, products or services in that case for people uh, that were really goal-oriented as far as making sure you were doing things that people actually enjoyed and appreciated. Um, and so as a winery, we grow grapes and make wine. And some guests know what that is. Um, short story, when guests ask, hey, what's Six Sigma? We tell them, hey, it's, you know, it's math model for making almost perfect wine. And everybody laughs. Uh, your crew obviously is going to know a little bit more about that, and so we can we can dig into it. But that's uh, that's the the quick background on it. Uh huh. Yes. And you've and been you around know. since what year? So bought the ranch on a handshake in 1999. Uh, as a family, started takes a little while to make wine, 
Uh, so started to put out the first bottles in 2006. Uh, did a few thousand cases that uh, came out in 07. And uh, now we, we do between 3,000 and 5,000 cases a year. Uh, so we've been, been at it for about 20 years. Yeah, that's great. And um, so tell us a little bit about, um, so your dad worked at GE. I also worked at GE in the 90s when Jack Welsh was there as well. I worked for appliances, so probably not a lot of overlap there. Um, but he was really big into Six Sigma. So I'm going to guess that your dad was really big into Six Sigma as well. So when you guys started the winery, what are some things that you guys incorporated in the winemaking process related to Six Sigma? So wine's a, a funny industry because there's a lot of uh, a lot of romance, which I think in the Six Sigma world you would call NVAs. Uh, because what you what you're making is, and, and part of it's real, right? You're making a guest experience. Uh, wine is not complicated. You're you're taking grapes and you're fermenting them into wine, and there are some steps. But uh, what what we found was that there are some things that make sense in the wine industry and some things that don't. And we we looked at specifically that experience when the guest gets the wine, opens the bottle. Uh, what all adds value to that? And are there any steps we can take out? There are. Uh, are there any steps maybe we should add in? Not that many, uh, mm -hmm. because the wine industry is already a bit ripe with extra. Um, but then also realizing that what guests are looking for is, is a bottle of wine that's great, but, but an experience around it. You know, it's not about the wine. It's about the experiences you have with people and, and the conversations you have around the wine mm -hmm. um, and, and the relationships you build. Mm -hmm. uh, more more so than just the product which has to be excellent uh, but that's mm -hmm. sort of uh basic mm -hmm. and i mm -hmm. think i would add that uh in the winemaking process it's slightly different than you know making parts of a cell phone where we're not trying to make every vintage taste the same mm -hmm. we want to take out all of the errors in the winemaking process so that they're you know from vineyard to bottle there's nothing that's a mistake but we don't want to make the wet year taste like the hot year we want that to be distinctive in the wine and so to realize that it's it is very useful because we you can taste the off flavors right away you need to make sure that those sorts of things don't happen in winemaking and that's very consistent and rigorous and all of that but that we want each of our bottles to be unique to the terroir as they call it of the area and the season and and that in that way honor the romance of it Yes, that would be what we would consider variety that is value add, right? So we don't want variation in the process per se, but we do like our variation in the wine and the way it tastes. And this is probably not a great comparison, but I always talk about in my classes, that's why we have an entire potato chip aisle at the shopping, at the grocery store, because we like that kind of variety um, in our food and in our wine but there is a process and how do we make sure that we don't have errors in that process? Exactly. So um, you had mentioned that you are doing a lot of vertical integration for your winemaking. So can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Yeah, we are. Um, we, we essentially own the whole 
production chain, which is a little unique, obviously, in, in any industry. Uh, but the ranch planted the vineyards from scratch. It takes a little bit of, of doing. I, I think part of the reason we were able to do that was by the time you realize just how overwhelming that is, you're in too deep to get out. Um, but but planted the vineyards. Uh, we built the winery on site. We dug a wine cave, um, mostly my parents doing. And uh, Rachel and I joined in 2008 when they had the first few bottles out. We had otherwise done other things in, in, other, in other parts of the world. And uh, we started out in the traditional method of distribution in the 90s which and late early 2000s, which was go out to distributors, sell it to a wine shop, sell it to a restaurant, and, and there are wineries that still do that. Uh, I'll quickly realized that as much as we love to travel and see people would rather be here. And at the same time, guests started coming to the ranch so much. So we realized we could actually sell by far most of the product just from the ranch. So we've had some super high-end placements and high-end restaurants and still have some. But our focus is on getting the guests here. So we started the soil, procure our own ingredients, uh, manufacture them. I mean, it's a winery. Again, it's romantic, but it's really just a manufacturing facility. Um, and then we get the guests here, they come and sit on this porch and enjoy it. And then we ship it out. And the only part of the chain we don't own is when we ship, um, we still do have to rely, of course, on, on UPS and, and FedEx, which is, is a strain like it is for everybody except for Amazon. <laughs> uh, but in that way, that's, yeah, we, we own the chain and we can, we can leverage a lot from that and, and manage a lot of things. Uh-huh. Yeah. That makes it a lot easier to improve the process because everybody's on board. You own the entire piece, so you can you you really have full control, which is great. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about maybe a project or an effort that you did involving process improvement uh, related to your wine. Something that um, that uh, you want to share with our audience. So I have a funny story about this and I mentioned it to you um, as we were preparing we uh, as I mentioned we make wine and bottle all our own wine and, and there are a lot of traditions in the wine industry and so if you hand any winemaker a bottle they can sort of tell you what the price point is based on the packaging before they even get into the bottle because there are certain unspoken rules about certain things in the wine industry like you can pick up the capsule and know the weight of it know how it cuts and so forth um, we had a sort of a, a Lean Six Sigma nightmare in the beginning where we had capsules coming from uh, the only company that could print in two colors, which was in Portugal at the time. And uh, so they had complete control of that whole market. Um, and on bottling day, we had three boxes of capsules in three different states because of, of shipping issues and none of them at the winery to put on, on the bottles. And so we, we looked at this step back from the wine industry thing and said, okay, these are really exciting capsules. Like they're really nice, they're heavy, they're printed in two colors. That's all very charming. But how much does the end consumer care? Trying to think, you know, that experience when the guest opens that bottle and shares it with friends, whatever we do, what has an impact on that? So we did a, a trial. We ordered some reasonably priced capsules um, that are generic that you would not put on a $50 bottle of wine like what we make because you can get it from a bunch of different suppliers. So the capsules we were using were $2 a piece, which obviously adds a lot. Uh, the capsules we ordered 
that look very, very nice to the untrained eye was our hypothesis. They're six cents, but they have a little seam on the back. So if you talk to wine industry folks, they're going to judge you for that. You know, you have a $50 bottle of wine with a seam on the back. That's a cheapo capsule. I, I took them out to distributors uh, because we were working the market a lot. Um, and, and at the end of the day, just on this one skew, this one varietal Sauvignon Blanc with these capsules, I asked them, so what do you think about our new capsules? And each time, even the distributor who opens bottles for a living would go, what new capsules? And so we realized the difference between a $2 capsule and a six cent capsule, it didn't matter to the consumer. And so we took that $1.94 and whatever and put it into the quality of the wine instead because that matters. Even people that don't think they know a lot about wine, they still know if it's good. And the quality matters a whole bunch. Uh, so if you order a bottle of our wine now, it's going to have a capsule that a wine industry professional would judge us for, but the wine's going to be quite extraordinary when you get to it. There's a real good chance that nobody outside the industry cares. Wow, that's very insightful. Really thinking about what the customer wants and really identifying it's a cost the customer doesn't really care about. It's not something that they'd be willing to pay for in essence. Exactly. So that's great. So you had mentioned that really it's getting people to the winery as the experience. So tell us a little bit about how does that work? Do you do tours? Do you have like what kinds of people come to the winery? Do they do groups or is it more because you're in Napa and it's always a stop? Tell me about that. That's all you. Okay. Um, <laughs> we, so we're, we're constantly working on driving traffic. We um, try to attract people here through a variety of different events. We do tours on the weekends and private tours during the week. We do a couple of times a month, um, what we call a reserve tasting where we do wine and food pairing. Uh, and we try to get our events out there on um, all of the, the, the normal platforms on the interwebs. And uh, the other attraction is the huge ranch. So we have a, a club specifically for using the ranch property. So, uh, the business is built on a diverse um, product base. So it's wine for sure, but it's also what we learned in um, the pandemic is that people really needed, they need a place to go and get out and be athletic. So we have a network of mountain biking and single track trails on our 4,000 acre ranch and an adventure club that people can sign up for and bring their mountain bike out and enjoy those trails. And then we will often have events that couple the two things where we will do a guided hike that's and that ends in a tasting. Um, and we've uh, developed a lot of our events based on customer feedback, um, asking good questions um, and what do people want to learn about. So we'll do a wildflower hike where we go and identify wildflowers or edible plants. Um, and it's all tied back to a family experience. A unique thing about Six Sigma is we love wine, but we feel like wine is part of a beautiful family meal. So we want people to bring their kids and their dogs and all of the things that are part of a good family. So uh, we have camping on site for club members and experiences that include the whole family. So go for a hike, do a wine tasting. We've got boards that kids like too. Um, and part of that is because we also have kids. So we want to do things that involve our whole family and, and people like us to come out and enjoy it as well. Yes. Oh, that sounds amazing. Um, so my audience would 
would be shocked if I didn't ask this question if because they know me. Do you have pickleball? <laughs> this is apparently a Not new range. Yet. I have been ambushed by pickleball eight times in the last month. <laughs> really? Yeah. So what, what's your thought, Tracy? Should we have pickleball? I absolutely 150% think you should have pickleball. Yes. So wild. You should do a okay. pickleball tournament and tour and it's going to just, it's going to go crazy. I'm telling consider, you. Consider your response recorded <laughs> in our voice of the customer rubric. Yes. As a matter of fact, if you have pickleball, I will single-handedly fill the entire tournament for you. That's <laughs> awesome. We need to go learn how to play pickleball, apparently. I yeah. hear it's this a lot a, of fun. This is apparently yeah, a thing. It's, it's a blast. It's And it's very family. It was created by a family. So uh, uh, two dads and their nine and 11-year-old boys, I think, created pickleball. So it's it's definitely a family uh, family game that you could play. How funny. That's it. We're doing it. We're going to go play. But well, um, we yeah. have a, a bocce area and a giant connect four and things like that. So it would fit in very well. That sounds great. And I join us it. soon for the new pickleball. Yeah. So I have a question about the Six Sigma piece. So do a lot of people um, ask you why and are they confused sometimes by the name? Just because me being in, in the Six Sigma world, lean in Six Sigma, I get that question all the time. And, um, you know, sometimes people go, what is that? Like, what, what does that come yeah. from? Do you get that much or no? A lot of people will ask just because they don't know what it is. And, and a surprising amount of people do know what it is. And we're close to the Bay Area. So a lot of tech folks and, and uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting conversation. Uh-huh. And uh, we, again, because we're close to the Bay Area, we have some really neat people. I mean, the, the amount of, of uh, Google folks and and very cool people come hang out here mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, so yeah we have we have some fun conversations about it that's great is there anything else you could share about um some of the things you're doing as of late to incorporate process improvement whether it's customer experience or transactional processes obviously the manufacturing process you're imp- implementing what we sometimes find is um Sometimes it's not necessarily applied in, in other areas of, of businesses, but absolutely can. Is there any other pieces that you, you've found it really helpful for you? We're huge on the voice of the customer component, um, especially mm-hmm. because we're inventing a business model that isn't just the traditional stand at the bar tasting room or sell it to a restaurant. Um, it's also what, what my, my parents spearheaded in corporate because when it was starting, of course, it, it's in manufacturing. It lends itself to manufacturing because you can measure all the things. Mm-hmm. And so my, my dad was running a company that was, as I mentioned, customer service. It's a big reinsurance company. And the question there was, what does quality look like? One thing quality does not look like, um, but is deceiving because you think it would, is the automated computer phone tree. So Bank of America rolled this out and said, well, we're doing Six Sigma and customer service. People call, they hit their own buttons and the process is flawless because the system does not make mistakes. Errors eliminated, problem solved, go home. And the problem is, of course, as we all know now, uh, it's extremely irritating. And so people are not machines. Yeah. Uh, what, what they 
figured out then in, in insurance uh, back in the day uh, where my dad was operating this company was that you had to figure out what customers actually care about and they can't always tell you. So you have to figure out systems for it. Because if, if I ask you, hey, what's, what's quality in insurance? You're not going to go, well, you know, I wish this and that metric. Um, but they discovered simple stuff like if a human picks up the phone and two rings, that's quality. And then interestingly, if they settle the claim reasonably quickly, that's more important to most customers than that it is perfectly precise. So an insurance company will often spend a month or a month and a half, uh, I think in California legally, they have, have up to 90 days or something like that, uh, to get it down to the last dollar. And, and the, the weird thing about that is the customer doesn't care about the last dollar, or even the last 50 bucks. But if you could settle it in two days, uh, within a few percent, uh, they're thrilled. So from that to here, we realized, man, it is so easy to make a product and try to sh slam it down customers' throats and instead realize they're constantly talking to you, even if you don't exactly know what they're saying. And uh -huh. it's in the tasting room. And, and we're fortunate that because we're a small organization, we all have direct customer interface, including mm -hmm. my parents are here all the time interfacing with guests. But it's yeah. also now not like the 90s it's through social media and other things and so constantly listening as we as we develop new experiences and new products and mm -hmm. and tweak them um, I, I think it's probably the main thing that we're doing on a on a daily basis yeah and i think we do a little bit of um i'll call it six sigma light because it's uh it has to do with hospitality people and not mathematicians um, yeah. but, but what we do with um, everything we do in our sales process is make sure that we keep rigorous, um, uh, basically to-do lists of when we have this event, this is how it's going to go. This mm -hmm. is the schedule it's going to follow. And then after each event, we analyze it and make sure that we didn't have any uh, funnels that got clogged. Uh, and that might be, you know, just at the register, making sure that the register never has a line. Or when people check in, that we immediately give them a glass of Sauvignon Blanc to, you know, stabilize their emotions, but also just to maintain hospitality. Pick up the phone after three rings. Like we have these standards in hospitality that we try to follow. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not just a free flow, you know, welcome people. Once we learn what a best practice is, we write it down and we make sure we do it every time. Yeah, And then um, that's the backbone of making an event awesome. And then we'll try to add something interesting each time on top of that, analyze afterwards if it worked well. Um, and then also look at like our sales per guest, because usually if somebody liked an event, they spend more money. And so it's mm -hmm. a really great feedback loop to see if what you're doing is working with people. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, I definitely want to come to your winery and I'm going to have to put it on my bucket list. I'm in Benita, California, which is pretty much 10 miles from the Mexican border down here in San Diego. So, nice. but I'm still in California and um, I haven't been up there in a while, but I know that my sister was just up there for the Bottle Rock concert. But I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so is there anything else you want to share about your winery with our audience? Like, for example, we, how do they get a hold of you and how do they get a hold of your products? Yeah, very good Anything question. Else? Um, if, if they insist, they, of course, can order the products at sixsigmaranch.com. Um, Which is all spelled out. Yeah, okay. all spelled out. S-I-X-S-I-G-M-A. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, also, uh, for when you come and visit us, we're actually opening a glamping resort on June 30th. And so your timing is excellent. We have been um, scheming it for 20 years and working on the partnership proactively uh, for seven. But on June 30th, we opened the first 60 tent cabins at the property uh, in a partnership with a company. It's gonna be super fun. Um, it's a partnership okay. with a company called Hatopia that has 50 of these throughout the world. Uh-huh. So um, we're super excited about it. It's gonna change the game a little bit here and you can come yeah. stay on site, hike the trail, grab a glass of wine, play pickleball in the very near future <laughs> um, and, and, and join, enjoy the experience. That sounds great. What would you say are your, I'm sure it's changes by season, but what are your best sellers? What, what do you find is the very popular wines that you're selling uh, a lot of that you know, people just really, is it, is it, do you have a certain number or certain vintage or type? Well, our flagship wine is called Tempranillo, which is a Spanish varietal. Uh, we love Spanish varietals here because the weather is so similar to some areas in Spain. So that's probably uh, what we're known for the most. And our Sauvignon Blanc is a real highlight for people. Nice. Good. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your um, gorgeous location. <laughs> I have to sit in front of a Zoom <laughs> for this interview. I really appreciate it. It was great to get to know you and learn more about your winery. And um, I'm really excited about it. So thank you so much for, for coming to the cafe today. Thank you, Tracy, for having us. Yes, thank you. Okay, so that is the end of the interview. I'm going to continue to record though, just because um, it's on. But I wanted to also share that I am um, the chair for this organization called the SoCal Lean Network. And you probably have heard Lean before. It's very similar to Six Sigma. As a matter of fact, I teach the Lean Six Sigma courses at UC San Diego. But, oh, um, but the but this group, the SoCal Lean group, we specialize in doing tours. And so we, we specialize in doing lean and Six Sigma tours. So I don't know, you know, maybe we can coordinate a group uh, to come up there. So we are, um, so for example, there's a lot of companies that do lean and process improvement here in San Diego. One of them's like Taylor Guitars, Fender, Illumina, which makes the, D, the, the, the um, what is it called? DNA, the DNA testing. 23andMe. So oh, yeah. makes that. Um, Costco down here, their, their whole packaging group. So they have, there's a, another group that's a part of Costco called the Costco Wholesale Industries. They do optical, they do packaging for, um, you know, like their jelly bellies. And, you know, they, anytime you go to Costco and it says Kirkland brand, that's their packaging group. So anyways, we do tours of all these places and you know, some of them we ha are free, but then there's also paid ones. And we're actually doing a paid tour. It's two days and four companies. And it's a tour every, every, you know, half day. It's a half day tour. So we squeeze four tours into two days. So with enough lead time, we could probably try to coordinate a Six Sigma winery tour. So obviously these people would want to come because they want to see how you're implementing process improvement and, yes. you know, Six Sigma and stuff like that. 
So um, it would be kind of showing them your vertical integration or the capsules or anything you're doing um, to implement process improvement, stuff like that. So that's where they go. But it'd be kind of cool because it'd be like a like a retreat too. That'd be super cool. Um, I didn't mention it earlier, but there will actually be a, a large air conditioned conference tent in the glamping resort as well. So if you need to <laughs> debrief and teach with an overhead projector or whatever you use now. Oh, um, nice. There's, there's space for that as well. So, um, so I would love to maybe get some pricing and, you know, just see what that looks like. Cause there's a lot of people, a lot of big companies and they'll pay for their company, their people to go. Obviously you probably get a lot of that. Um, so same with this, this SoCal lean tour. Um, we have a lot of people that like the tours and are willing to spend money on it to go on a tour. Um, and their companies will usually send people too. So we'll yeah. have to, we'll have to work together to figure something out. Sounds like fun. Yeah, I think, um, when are your busiest times? Well, obviously the tent thing is brand new. So I'm going to guess the summertime is probably the busiest. Well, this year will be. Um... Normally our busiest times are the spring and the fall, actually. Hmm. Um, and I think it's because our weather is the most beautiful in the spring and the fall. Okay. And yeah. our fall lasts a really long time. We, we hmm. stay with beautiful weather, usually all the way up till December. Okay, great. I love it. Okay, well, probably wouldn't be this fall just because we were, we, you know, the marketing, the marketing takes a while, especially if it's more on the expensive side, um, which I don't know what it would look like, but I'm going to guess it's a little more expensive. So than what they're used to. <laughs> Although Six Sigma classes are not cheap. Um, okay, well, um, so the only thing I'm going to need is I kind of sent you this, um, email that kind of asked for a couple things. Um, so it is a picture of the both of you. You can send me either two pictures, one of each on your headshot, or you can send me a picture of the both of you. Um, and then also anything you want me to say about the winery or introducing the both of you or your dad, if he was, you know, if some, if that's some one that you want me to highlight in the introduction, when we you know, it's the piece we say just before we cut to this interview. Um, and then all the others, I think, is just if you want to hear the podcast, you would register for our podcast so that you can um, hear it when it comes out. But we're going to do a quick turn on this. So we this is going to be our June podcast. So it's May 31st. <laughs> and we typically right. will turn this and we, we try to get the podcast out in the first front end of June. So before June 10th, most likely. And we'll send you the note and you can use it. You can put the link anywhere you like. If you want people to hear it or if you want to use it in marketing, you're absolutely welcome to do that. Yeah, we'll do it. We have a surprisingly active social world surrounding Six Sigma just because it's so picture heavy and people want to live it vicariously when they sit in their counting offices in Minneapolis. Oh, um, great. So we'll, we'll put it out through our different channels and, and see if we can throw you a, a little extra traffic in addition to what you have already. Yeah, that sounds great. I love it. Do you have any questions for me? No. No, we'll look up that email and make sure we get that sent over. Mm -hmm. Okay. And sounds if you good. give me some details on what you need for your tours, then I can get some numbers for you. Okay, that sounds great. And how many kids do you have? Three. 
And how old are they? 12, 10, and 7. Oh, those are fun ages. They're very fun ages. They're a lot of fun. We're, I have a, yeah, we're right in the middle of it. Yeah, I have a 15-year-old boy and a, and a 20-year-old boy. <laughs> nice. So they're a lot of fun. So, yeah. so you're right, on we'll, the back end. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I play pickleball. So, because I have a little <laughs> more time now. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. All right. Well, you two take care. I look forward to getting that info from you and then we'll ping you as soon as it's released. Sounds good, Tracy. Thank you for including us. This was fun. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Bye. 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 Be sure to register for our June 22nd webinar featuring Ruth Stanley and the authors of the new book, The Creativity Sprint. The webinar is titled Creativity, Gift, Necessary Skill, or Superpower. They're going to host some cool activities, so don't miss it. If you're looking for guidance on becoming better at lean cultural transformation, come join Tracy and me for our interactive course at UC San Diego Lean Six Sigma Leadership starting this August. The next cohort starts this August. And be sure to check out Baby Got Tools, Tracy's new lean hit parody rap video. It will pump you up to crush waste. Yeah, and I might be having a new uh, dance routine coming out soon from Fiverr. All right. And have you ordered Elizabeth's book yet? Be sure to get a copy of the best-selling Picture Yourself a Leader because you are one, whether you know it or not, and you can get better at it. All the links are below. Stay tuned for all the news by joining our community at the Just In Time Cafe. That's jigcafe.com. And maybe we should make Just In Time Cafe a winery or a little cocktail hour with Six Sigma wine soon. We're always psyched to have your company. The Just-In-Time Cafe is a great place to visit and there's scientific proof that makes you smarter. <laughs> Join us next month and every month for your jolt of lean caffeine. <laughs> <laughs>